Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I was always a dreamer. I always saw a life beyond the life that I had as a child. It was like a big flashing light. This is what you're supposed to do. Everybody poo-pooed the idea. Network said it couldn't be done. You're in that zone, and it's that out-of-body experience where it just, everything clicks. Sometimes you have those dark moments. I was so depressed when I got fired. I was so mad. People don't need to be afraid to fail. And again, that, that's where you learn. You don't shouldn't be afraid of adversity. You know, that that is the thing that, that makes you strong. This is Jerry Levias. This is Jody Markell. This is Chi Yun. This is Dick Vitale, and you're listening to American Achievers. Welcome to American Achievers the podcast that celebrates ambition, commitment to excellence, risk-taking, and tenacity on the road to success. I'm Keith Dunavant. Some of my guests are world famous. Some are rather obscure. Our weekly lineup includes entrepreneurs, athletes, military heroes, civic leaders, artists, and media figures. What they all have in common is a sense of undeniable purpose and an intriguing story that reflects the power of the American dream. Childhood trauma can ripple through a life. It can take many years to assess the ultimate impact of one devastating shock during those formative years. Some people are permanently scarred. Some adapt and overcome. But the trauma never goes away. More than three decades later, Tanisha Ross still allows herself to think about that night that night when her whole world went up in flames. She knows the tragedy changed her, but she didn't allow it to destroy her. Despite the trauma, and perhaps because of it, she became self-reliant, aspirational, studious, and most important, defiant. And it was her defiance that saved her from becoming a statistic. She was too busy becoming a rocket scientist. What's your earliest memory of growing up in Fairfield, Alabama? Let's see, my earliest memory has to go back to when I was about... um, seven or eight years old, um, we grew up on Hillside Drive. It's actually not too far from downtown Fairfield near City Hall. And um, life growing up in Fairfield at a young age was um, a very hard time. It was um, just an everyday struggle. Um, My mother was a young mother. She was um, about 17 or 18 when she had me. She didn't um, get an opportunity to finish high school which meant she didn't have a um, a full-time job. We grew up on um, welfare and, and public assistance. And so at the age of 29, when she was tragically killed, she had four young children. And so um, just every day was a pretty much struggle just for the basic necessities like uh, food and water. I do remember being super excited to go to um, elementary school at C.J. Donna Elementary School, and that's when they had... Um, free breakfast and free lunch for kids at school. And, you know, sometimes that would be the only time I would eat. And so um, just growing up in those circumstances in that time, I just do remember it being um, extremely hard. But there were great times with my mother as well. But it's sometimes those um, hard times that sometimes stick out um, the most. Well, we're going to talk about the your tragic your mother's tragic death here in a minute. But um, uh-huh. what what do you remember? What, what do you hold on to good about your mother? I hold on to her always trying to create um, a family environment, even though we didn't have a lot of uh, money. Uh, we did play a lot of a lot of games in the house. Uh, we would do. Um, it wasn't like karaoke back then, but I do remember when her friends would come over. She would wake us up to dance. I couldn't dance, but um, my sisters were 
the dancers. I was the the rapper, or we call it the beatboxer. And so uh, we were some pretty entertaining kids. And um, I do remember that good part um, about my mother. And it was so difficult, right, that and I've heard it said that uh, you didn't really know what real money looked right looked like, right? Absolutely. And that's when um, I think now they have the plastic EBT cards. But uh, back in the day, we had actual food stamps. I think they were brown, purple, and maybe green. But I remember the, the bronze ones because it was the, the dollars. And we would get that little dollar um, food stamp and go get um, penny candy from the corner store. Or if we ever went to go purchase um, exchange goods for that food stamp, um, they paid you back in food stamps. And so it wasn't until I got um, a little bit older and got involved in Girl Scouts and I started having sleepovers or going to camps with um, the Girl Scout troops, and that's when I was introduced to um, real money. Had no idea what it um, looked like except for coins, but only thing we had pretty much at the time were food stamps, and any time you pay with a large bill in food stamps, and then they give you that change back in, in food stamps. How did that particular thing right there, how did that affect your psyche, do you think? Well, it really didn't hit me until I got into um, maybe middle school when I really understood, like, hey, you can't use food stamps at uh, McDonald's or, or things like that. And it was more so how do I get real money? Like, what's the difference between these food stamps and then the, the real money? And, again, that was some of the skills they taught me in Girl Scouts. It was more of a, you know, education um, and jobs. And that's how you get um, your real money. You go perform a uh, service for a company, and then you're paid with this type of money um, in return. And it sounds like you really had to learn away from your home really what aspiration um, was about. Is that fair to say? I, I would say so. But I did have, um, outside of my mother, she did have some uh, sisters and um, a brother as well as my uh, grandparents. But, again, we would see them, um, you know, sometimes during the holidays they would take us shopping. And, um, again, we would see that money and get um, clothing items. We used to always go to Boaz. I'm not sure if those outlets are still in Boaz right oh, now. Oh, I remember those outlets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we would go um, to Boaz, and, you know, we would see this, this type of money. But, again, it didn't register until it was more like a, you know, you always know it's time to eat. You know, you go to the store, you get candy and what you normally pay with, but then you start getting exposed to um, places like McDonald's or Miss Winters was another one because they had amazing cinnamon rolls back in the day. But you go out with your friends, and it's like, hey, they're paying with this. How do I get my hands on this? So it was a huge um, wake-up moment and defining moment, and um, I would say it was something that geared me towards um, becoming the woman that I am today and choosing my career field. So... One night when you were nine years old, you, you went to bed, you, you fell asleep, and something woke you up in the middle of the night, and everything changed. Tell me about that night. I know it's painful. Yep, absolutely. And so my mother was in a um, very horrible domestic violence, our relationship, and it seems like every weekend they would they would fight. And instead of my mother, um, you know, fighting back with him, she would get upset and throw dishes and so anytime we would hear um, dishes breaking, my siblings and I knew that it was time to get up to go walk to the Fairfield Police Department. And we had no phone and we had no car. So that meant um, my siblings and I would just walk through the alley behind our house in Hillside Drive and walk that alley all the way to the Fairfield Police Department to um, get the police officers. And then we would ride back in like the squad car and they would, you know, bring us back home. But that particular night morning, um, we heard that, I heard that same glass breaking. And again, I woke my siblings up thinking we were going to the police station. And uh, lo and behold, there was um, smoke coming from under my mother's bedroom door. And it wasn't a fight that day. It was actually the heat from the fire in my mother's room that was causing her windows to pop. And so you made it out. You and your, your siblings made it out, and your mother 
didn't. She didn't. And um, so my, my two sisters and I made it out. Um, my little brother, he was overcome by smoke when my oldest sister kicked that door in. And um, uh, yeah, so we we made it out. And uh, my mother didn't because um, at the time she had a cast on her leg. And that cast came from a fight that she and her boyfriend had about two weeks prior, and he broke her leg. And so um, she was hindered by that, um, and she was the only one that didn't make it out alive because she did, she had crutches. She couldn't walk. And so, that leg was broken during a um, domestic fight between her and her boyfriend. And so you're, you're out there on the sidewalk, basically, right? I just... Watching your your house, your everything slip away. Yep. So actually, we were running up and down the street because we were panicking and didn't know what to do. Um, it was a, it was in winter, and we just had on our pajamas, no socks or shoes, and um, my sisters and I just took off in different directions, uh, just screaming. And one of our neighbors did um, hear us, and they were able to walk, wake up, and then um, call the fire department for us. And so once they made that call. Um, we went into one of the neighbor's houses until my uh, grandparents got there because, again, it was winter outside and it was extremely cold. And so we just stayed put until um, my mother's sisters and my grandparents came to to pick us up. You're nine years old. How in the world do you process the pain of that moment? You know what's surreal is the fact that you still are trying to figure out what's going on because the last thing I saw was smoke coming out of the room and I do remember us running down the stairs and my brother again he was small and he tripped up over something in the uh, hallway and we were yelling back up the stairs you know asking him to just to follow our voices and then you know we just come down the stairs and he just kept saying I can't see I can't see and then before you knew it um, he stopped talking and we all went into panic mode and it really didn't hit us or hit me as to what was happening and how bad it was. Because again, all we saw was smoke. I never did see fire because we ran right out of there. It was thick black smoke. And um, as we walked past the house to get into my grandparents' car, they wouldn't let us look at the house. And so it wasn't until about um, a couple hours later when we saw the news crews pulling up at my grandparents' house, and then um, my aunts came to sit down with us on the couch, and they had that look on their faces to let us know that um, my mother didn't didn't make it out, but my brother was in um, ICU. And, you know, everything was happening so fast, and it was hard to process, but it wasn't until the day of the funeral, you know, she was burned really bad, and so her funeral was a closed casket. But um, my aunts did bring us down to the funeral home to allow us to have our last moments with her, with my mother, before, um, you know, they closed the casket and took her to the church. And that's when it um, hit us that she's she's gone. She's not coming back. And it was it was hard. It was a lot to process. Um I struggle with that over the years. You know, it's hard to get close and trust people because you're afraid that, you know, they're going to be taken away from you again. But, um, you know, through counseling and, you know, my aunts and my friends, we were I was able to get through it. And even though it's been since 1987, it's a constant, I don't want to say struggle, but it's something that you always uh, you always live with. Do you wish you could forget that night? Yes and no. And I say no because, um, and I was just telling this to one of our uh, leaders that are retired today, that there's no testimony without a test. So I wouldn't have anything to talk about, share my testimony without being tested my faith being tested. And so, you know, things had to happen. Uh, God has a plan for all of us. And um, that night happened for a reason. And as I've gotten older and become a uh, mother 
and a uh, productive citizen. I understand that things happen. Um, I do wish I had more time with her to say some things that I didn't get a chance to say as I was a, a young kid, but um, I know that night had to happen for a reason, and it's actually a part of my journey and why I'm here talking to you um, today. What did you hold on to? I used to hold on to a lot of guilt, and I didn't share that until um, recently. I felt a lot of guilt, um, and it was always me holding on to why did I make it out and she didn't. And I struggled with that for a long time, and no one ever ever knew about it. But um, struggle with guilt, and again, not being able to say, you know, things like I love you more or what have you. But um, I had to finally let that go and um, just realize that God left me here for a reason. And if I don't start living my life and um, living it purposefully, then I'm just wasting my time and, and not taking advantage of, you know, being left here. There was a reason, there was a purpose, and um, I had to eventually let that let that guilt go because my mother wouldn't want me holding on to that because I felt like I should have woken up. What, what would have happened if I woke up sooner? But I was nine years old. I, I had to let that guilt, um, had to let that guilt go. Somebody took you in, somebody in your family. How did that shape the next part of your journey? So my aunt, uh, she's actually one year younger than my um, my mother, Aunt Sue. She was a newlywed um, when this happened. She had been married maybe about a year. So my mother was 29, and Aunt Sue and her husband, um, Willie Riley Jr., um, my aunt was 28 years old. And um, so we didn't, you know, based on our birth certificates, uh, we didn't have a father listed. And uh, but I know who my father is, but it wasn't signed on the birth certificate. And um, you have a mother listed who's deceased now, and you technically are like wards of the state. And so even though we were in like the foster care system, my aunt made sure that we didn't get separated, and we were able to go live um, go live with her. Of course, we had the the court visits. Uh, we were all assigned a um, social worker, you know, just making sure everything um, was okay. But we were able to go live um, with my aunt and my uncle, and that just changed um, things drastically. It was like more more stability. Uh, we were able to rest at night. There was no fighting, um, no concerns for food or, or running water like we had in the past. Uh, sometimes we didn't have water growing up, and we would have to borrow that water from uh, neighbors. But living with them provided a uh, sense of security as well as um, stability and and overall structure and absolutely much needed discipline. <laughs> so I um, am thankful for those two because they absolutely help uh, shape and mold me into um, who I am right now. What's the most important lesson that your aunt taught you during that period? Taught me how to have faith and also taught me to start trusting again. Um, I was upset with my mother's boyfriend because he was supposed to be a protector and he uh, was the complete opposite. I didn't trust people um, easily because I thought, you know, everybody had like an ulterior motive. They were just there for, for something. They were going to turn on you. But um, she taught me how to start trusting again and to have faith in that family was um, very, very important. And even when we were growing up, we all ate together. Um, and every night before bed, we would say a prayer together. So it just redefined what family was for me. And she also taught me a whole bunch about responsibility. I had a job when I was in um, high school and I had the chance to experience getting my own real money. But even though I had that real money, I couldn't just go um, blow it. So it, seeing her and my uncle get up every morning to go to work, it just 
did something to me, and it just taught me how to be an overall responsible person and what it was like to care for a um, care for an individual. How long did it take you to feel safe? Um, I would say so. Let's say my mother was killed when I was in uh, fourth, fifth grade. I would say maybe about the end of middle school, so maybe two or three years. And and why it took so long, I just needed consistency, right? You know, one day my mom and her boyfriend would break up, then he'll go, then he'll come back. It was always that revolving door. But with them, there was just um, consistency, and then just seeing that, hey, they were serious about um, doing their best to take um, care of us, and so... I'll say it took about two to three years. And then, and I try to do the same thing with my son, making sure he feels um, safe at home and in our um, environment. Because if you can't feel safe at home, you won't feel safe um, anywhere. But thankfully it didn't take um, too long because like I said, they provided a consistent, um, steady environment. Things didn't change too much. And um, so I'll say about a couple, couple, three years. When did you first become interested in science? How did that happen? How did that happen? That actually happened in, I've always been a pretty decent um, student. So I was in band, I played basketball. I said I got involved in, in Girl Scouts. And um, I took science, all of that in um, high school. And um, it was always something, again, that I was just interested in. But what really, really got me into science was when I went to an engineering camp. So I'll say I was about in the um, 10th grade in high school. And I went to an engineering camp at the uh, University of Alabama in Huntsville for about a week. And um, they introduced me to the various fields of um, engineering. And um, once I went to that camp and got exposed to that and an internship with um, Boeing, my sophomore, junior year in college, I was sold. Well, something happened when you were still young in Fairfield mm-hmm. that some an adult told you something that cut <laughs> you like a knife. What yes, was it? Yes, sir. So again, it was right around that time, actually, when I got back from um, engineering camp, because after that camp, I kind of got excited about engineering, and I said, this is exactly what I wanted to, um, you know, this is what I want to do when I grow up. And it was one of those, what do you want to be when you grow up type of conversations um, at the school. And like I said, I was about in the 10th grade, and um, this individual, you know, everybody called me T-Bone. This is the most I've been called Tanisha in my life <laughs> this year. <laughs> well, you can call but, you T-Bone uh, if you'd like. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, if you grew up in in the hood, pretty much, you, are, you get called by your real name, then you're in trouble. And so even my teachers called me T-Bone. And so this, this individual said, um, did ask me what I want to do after high school. And I said I wanted to pursue a uh, degree in engineering. And she just looked at me and said... T-Bone, your family does not have any money to send you to college. You need to set realistic goals. And I just remember walking out of that office, and I ended up running into two of my friends. It's it's not often that you see me cry. Um, I was just so devastated and hurt uh, that day. And two of my good friends were actually coming down the hallway, and we just talked and they let me cry, and I vented, and um, I just didn't understand. Like, I know I had a, a rough upbringing, but what did my past have to do with what I was trying to do with my future? Um, not once did this, this, that individual say anything about um, scholarships. I was a talented um, trombonist, uh, played basketball, softball. I had good grades. Didn't say anything about scholarships, but it was just more of a you can't do this basically because of where you come from. And that just, I couldn't believe it at the time. (laughs) And I still sit back and don't, I can't believe it now. And that's why I try to go out and encourage as many students and young people as I can, because you never know what people are um, 
hearing. And I don't know why that stuck with me. You know, there's some things that people say every day that I don't care anything about. But for some reason, I just do not, I cannot ever forget that. And we have to be careful what we say to um, individuals, especially young kids, because that same person that um, told me I needed to set realistic goals also gave my brother some negative feedback when he was in 10th grade. How ironic is that? And my brother um, walked right out of the same high school that I graduated from, and we buried him in 2017. He was gone down and murdered in, um, in Fairfield. So it's words are extremely, extremely powerful. And um, like I said, you never know what somebody would do with that information. I use it as motivation to go ahead and try to pursue my dreams anyway. And if I did fail, so what? I at least tried. But um, thankfully, um, I didn't listen. I had a good support system, and um, I was able to go on to become um, an engineer. And I always try to tell people in the audience, especially parents, support your kids' dreams because then my aunt's probably going to scream when she hears this, but it was during one of my interviews earlier this year. She finally confessed and said, T, when you say you wanted to become an engineer, she said, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I thought you wanted to become a train conductor. <laughs> I said, a train conductor? <laughs> Nothing wrong with and becoming a train said, conductor. Right, but see, that's the only thing she associated engineering with. But what, what the message I'm trying to get to with that um, example was she didn't care if I wanted to become a train conductor. She supported what I wanted to do because I was so passionate about it. Well, you know, there there are a large percentage of young people in your situation Mm -hmm. who, confronted with that sort of advice, would have internalized it and would have said, you know, maybe she's right. You know, maybe I I need to be more realistic. Maybe I need to, to, to set my goals lower. But you had something in you that was special that she couldn't see. Mm-hmm. And obviously it became a moment that, that helped propel you because you were tenacious and you were stubborn, and those are wonderful characteristics when it comes to achieving. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really do attribute, just like you asked me if there was something I would go back and change about that night, I said yes and no. And I think that happened. I had to go through that to make me stronger. I look at where I came from, all the things that um, I'm supposed to have not done based on statistics, uh, research, what have you. And I think my past really helped mold and shape me um, to this day. And I use my past as a, um, a stepping stone. And, you know, no one would have ever thought a rocket scientist would come out of Fairfield, Alabama, especially not now, but um, I'm here today proud to say that I've been a rocket scientist. It will be 23 years um, in May. You're listening to American Achievers. Stay tuned for more conversation. Of course, you've got a really good education, um, but what are the steps that that it took for you to become a rocket scientist. <laughs> well, the first step is actually picking a school that has a um, curriculum in which you are interested in. And so I was interested in becoming a um, electrical engineer. And I also, like I said, I played the trombone and I always wanted to be in a college marching band. And Alabama A&M University had um, both of those um, amazing uh, features for me. And so I picked a school that I was interested in and had the um, curriculum that I wanted to study. And, um, you know, you get you some mentors, a good support system. But what was most important about, um, you know, in my journey as it relates to becoming a rocket scientist was I stressed the importance of internships. I had an internship at uh, Alabama Power Company, downtown Birmingham, and I did that for a couple of years. And um, I got to see what it was like to um, design substations and how to keep power on, how to transmit power. But it was something about when I became uh, an intern for Boeing Aerospace, that's where I knew I wanted to be and where I wanted to focus my um, energies. 
So I would say interning, that internship that I got with Boeing, helped gear me towards um, becoming a rocket scientist. I bet you they weren't telling you to be realistic at that job. <laughs> Absolutely not. They actually encouraged me to uh, continue to be myself. Um, I'm a very fun, um, sociable person. Um, nobody has ever asked me to change my personality. They actually embrace uh, my differences, embrace who I am as a um, as a person, and encourage my uh, opinions, my thoughts, or what have you. And um, no, they they've done nothing but um, encourage me and support me. As a matter of fact, on my journey and since I've been working here, I've actually gotten two more degrees that my company um, paid for. And so not only did they not discourage me, they also encouraged me to continue my education. So I have two master's degrees to go along with that. And you ended up working on the Mars Rover Project. I mean, how cool is Absolutely. that? Tell me about that. <laughs> Gosh. It was it was like one of the, um, the greatest things ever. And um, so uh, we launch rockets. It's just what I do. And I get excited about... Um, every launch. And so to me, this one right here was, was no different. I get excited about um, all of them. But I think what happened, and I'm not sure exactly why this one got a ton of buzz, but I personally think that it was because of um, COVID. We were all sitting at home. Um, of course, I'm watching the um, launch, but um, everybody was actually at home at the time. And um it was on TV, and we were all sitting still and had to – we were forced to watch TV uh, during COVID, and um, it made the, the news. And um, I did an interview with the uh, Space and Rocket Center to talk about United Launch Alliance's uh, role in that because we actually built that rocket here in, in Sweet Home, Alabama, in this beautiful rocket factory in uh, Decatur, and we launched it from our launch pad at uh, Cape Canaveral Space Force Station in uh, in Florida. And so um, did an interview with the Space and Rocket Center to talk about our role in that. And um, it absolutely blew up and, and went viral. And, um, and I was glad it actually happened because, uh, again, this amazing factory here in um, Alabama, a lot of people had no idea of the role that we played in that. And so... I was excited to see it um, get that coverage and put uh, United Launch Alliance in Alabama uh, on the map. How does it feel <laughs> from a for one time impoverished, desperate, sad young young girl um, from Fairfield who was told to just be realistic, to be part mm-hmm. of that great North Alabama rocket tradition? I one word is is I have I'm I'm blessed. It is blessed to be a part of this great legacy that I plan to leave. Um great to be a part of such um amazing things that we're doing for space and for um our country. Um and, and hopefully and what I hope comes out of all of this is that someone that has gone through some of the things that I've gone through, no matter how hard times get, how big the challenge, if you just stay the course, stay focused on what it is you want to achieve, what your goals are, not what anybody else's goals are for you, what your goals are, you can achieve them. And I hope that someone out there that's listening to this or happens to read um, an article, I hope my journey um, would help encourage and motivate and inspire someone to stay the course in whatever it is they're trying to achieve um, in their lives. What's the most important lesson that you've learned, about, kind of a building block type thing, uh, for chasing your dream? Trust yourself. Believe in yourself. It's okay to bet on you for once. And like I said, what's the worst that can happen? You fail, try again. And it was a big faith um, move I took when I left here to go pursue uh, my dreams in corporate America. Our corporate headquarters are in uh, Denver or Centennial, Colorado. And I left Alabama in 2008 with my son, who was seven years old at the time. 
And um, I didn't know anyone, but I knew in order for me to become CEO of this company or any company, I had to understand how corporate America works, which meant I needed to get outside of my comfort zone. My comfort zone was testing rockets. I can do it with my eyes closed. But I needed to do something that was uncomfortable, something that I was unfamiliar with. And I had to take that leap of faith to move to Colorado to do that. And again, you know, I heard it again. Several people didn't believe in me. Several people thought I would be back in six months. You know, you don't know anybody out there. You don't have a support system. Well, you don't know Tanisha T-Bone Ross because wherever I go, I have and I create a support system. This last month will have been 13 years of me living in Colorado. So I left in 2008, and I just took a um, a challenging assignment here back in the rocket factory um, in May. And so I finally got moved um, maybe a couple months ago. But you got to stay the course and um, just try something new. And it's okay to get out of your comfort zone. I would highly, highly encourage that and recommend it. And it was one of the best things I could have done for myself. But most importantly, it was one of the best things I could have done for my son, who is now 20 years old, and he was seven years old when we left Alabama in 2008. What excites you about your job? <laughs> you know what, most importantly, is the people. And, and uh, I know that's not sure if the audience was expecting me to say that, but the people excite me. Of course, you know, walking up and down the um factory floors, seeing rockets, seeing the hardware, seeing 18-wheelers come in and dropping off um, pieces of equipment. But the people that are actually working on these rockets, the people that I work with every day, uh, coordinating with, um, putting plans together to talk to our customers, to talk about our plan uh, with new designs and so on and so forth, it's the people that or excited just like me, that gets me excited about what I do. And then another thing that excites me is just the fact that um, it it gives me chills knowing exactly the role we play in the world. And, you know, you talked about the Mars uh, mission. We also help um, with communication, and um, most importantly, we help out with our nation's troops and our national security and so um, we just play a wide role in what we do here um, as a country. So it just makes me all excited, and I get, it's surreal at sometimes, but it's just I'm excited for the people that I'm working with. Uh, we're all one big family in here, and we're one big um, support group. And so it's just the people and, of course, absolutely the role that we play in um what we do for our country. I mean, do you still get a thrill when, you know, a launch goes successfully? And Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. Uh, I get a thrill walking in here every day, <laughs> every single day. And I did tell someone that the day that that feeling goes away is the day that I need to try something else. And after 23 years, that feeling um, has not gone anywhere. It's the same every single day. You know that's a gift, right? It, it, is, it is indeed a gift, and it's a blessing as well. Last year, 2000, or earlier this year, actually, 2021, you went to make the commencement speech at your old high school. <laughs> Tell me about that whole thing, that trip. Well, I had just received a, um, what was it, a resolution from the uh, city, at, down at City Hall, um, for my efforts with the uh, Mars mission. And I got a call from um, the principal and the guidance counselor actually asking me what was I doing on May 19th. I said, I don't I don't know, you tell me. And they did ask if I wanted to give um, a couple of encouraging words uh, to the class of 2021. And of course I got excited because my niece just so happened to be a uh, senior, a graduating senior in that class. And I said, okay, I can come give some encouraging words. I had no idea that they wanted me to actually be the commencement speaker. And, you know, just growing up 
in Fairfield, you know, barely making it day to day and getting a call back to your alma mater asking you to be the commencement speaker. It brought tears to my eyes and I was extremely humble and grateful that I was able to come back to do that as well as in front of my um, niece who was graduating. So, I mean, I would have never thought that I would be doing a commencement speech at the school that I graduated from, but also at the school or the place where my dreams could have ended, right? Because that's where that event happened. Um, you need to set realistic goals, T-Bone. But it was just so, it's a full circle moment for me to come back after being told, you know, I couldn't do this. To now, not only did I do it, I'm now the commencement speaker coming back, talking to and encouraging the graduating class of how to set goals, stay the course, and no matter how challenging things can be, keep going, or how I like to say, keep swimming. And so it was it was just a surreal moment for me. Was it painful for you to go back and, and you know, near the where that fire had happened and all those swirling feelings was that painful it it was and what what happens is you know they say time heals all wounds i won't say they heal them uh it just makes things um a little bit better more tolerable because not only was the fire near that school but my brother was murdered um a couple blocks away and so anytime i come to fairfield i have to pass that spot where they found him laying in somebody's yard um, with gunshot wounds. But of course you pass by and reflect and I always drive by the house as well where my mother was killed. It finally was torn down um, this year. And I always drive by to reflect where I've come from, but also like to see where I'm at and where I'm continuing to go and it used to be extremely hard, but um, uh, like I said, I know my mother would be proud of me. And it's not as hard. It's not as hard as it used to be because I came back with a with a message of yes, these things happened. Things were hard. Things were challenging, downright devastating. But I made it through. And what? so I do get emotional. Uh, don't get me wrong, but um, it, it's it's gotten it's gotten much better, especially with the graduation speech, because I knew I came back with a purpose. What sort of mental toughness did it take for you to wall yourself off and not be engulfed by this pathos, by this tragedy of your life? You know what? It's it all has to do with your support system, the people that you surround yourself with. I have very great friends, amazing friends. I have an amazing work family. I have an amazing family. But most importantly, I have an amazing son. My son needs me to be a mother. He needs me to be a supportive mother. And if I'm just um, sitting around and dwelling on the past, how can I be a good mother to him? And how how can I be a good person um, to myself? And it's I see how people can get caught up in that sometimes, but I highly do recommend um, counseling for anybody that may be going through some things. And I know it's kind of one of the things that we don't like to talk about, but um, counseling was one thing that extremely helped me. And like I said, I, I talk about guilt a lot. And I had to realize I had to let that go because there was nothing more that I could have that I could have done. And again, it's just some things that you can't change. You just have to. And it, it sounds easier said than done, but it, it took a course of years. It didn't. This didn't just happen overnight. During my time away in Colorado, I spent a lot of time uh, meditating, uh, getting to know myself. Um, and understanding things uh, better and looking at every situation for, for what it was worth. But um, you have to just 
Try to surround yourself with positive friends. Get involved in your community. Uh, get involved with some, some church. And if your kids are having activities, I say get involved with that. And that's what kept me uh, pretty much going. I stayed busy, and it was that positive type of uh, energy and positive influences. What's the most important lesson that you've tried to teach your son? Dream big and follow your passion. Follow your, your goals. What, 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 what makes you happy? What gets you excited every morning? And uh, what was funny to me was when we were up, we had what we call uh, young minds at work or bring your kid to work day. And we were in, in Denver, and I brought my son to uh, work with me. And the role that I had, I was surrounded by a ton of uh, executives all the time. And um, I think my son was about 10. And one of the VPs did ask him, uh, young man, you going to be an engineer like your mom? And he proudly said, no, sir. I love music, and I want to be a businessman. And I just looked at him with a proud mom smile on my face because I want him to pursue his dreams, something that he's passionate about. What excites me may not excite him. And so I highly recommend to everyone that's out there listening, follow your dreams, follow your heart, follow your passion. Do what, do what you're passionate about. Do what's best for you. What does the American dream mean to you? To me, it was getting out, becoming a productive citizen in society and having the things that I need to succeed in life. And success can be different for for all of us. My ultimate goal of my American dream in life was always to just be able to provide for myself and for my family. And so, you know, people may not understand why I work so hard. It is because I do not want to ever experience what I experienced growing up ever again. And I said to myself, if I ever had kids, not once did I want any of us to go to bed hungry, um, without running water, without power, without any of it. My American dream was just to become a hardworking person, have real money, have some insurance and some benefits, and to be able to take care of my son. But most importantly, I knew I needed an education to do that. And I think I've succeeded at um, my version of my um, American dream. And it may seem basic to a lot of people because it sounds like the just the bare minimum but again, knowing what I've gone through, the things that I didn't have, my American dream was basically just having the basic necessities. And now that I have those, I make sure that I give back to those that are around me. I volunteer at every place that I can. Um, I know I wouldn't be here without uh, volunteers. After the house fire, we had clothes that were destroyed in the fire. But we always had, we ended up with new clothes. Uh, We didn't have food to eat most of the times growing up. During the holiday season, out of nowhere we had food. Christmas, we didn't have toys. Toys to top drives, we had those toys. And those were volunteers that gave back to me. And I make sure that I do that and support those initiatives and those drives going forward. What do you want young people to to take away from your story? Just be who you are. And and I know it may be hard sometimes because there's nothing like having a a dream or a passion that everyone doesn't um, support. But I encourage young people to talk to their, their parents, their teachers, uh, try to get involved in some activities. Um, speak up and let people know what you're interested in because I had a social worker that actually found this engineering camp for me uh, that I went to because she was asking me what it is that I wanted to do. 
And so sometimes when people ask you, they're not going to ask you often. So that one time that you do get an opportunity to tell people exactly what it is you want to do, be honest up front and let them know exactly what it is that you want to do because you will be amazed at who all will be willing to help you. Because if you say you want to be a dancer, I'm not a dancer, but I may know somebody that may be in the dancing business or being an artist. My son is a talented musician. I can introduce people to him, but you never know who knows who. And so I encourage uh, young people to just follow their passions and speak up uh, about exactly what it is that you want to do with yourself. If you had an opportunity to to spend a few minutes with your mom, <laughs> what would you tell her? I would tell her that... Um, I, I, I love her, and um, I do apologize, you know, sometimes for being that vocal, that vocal kid in the in the house. But I um, appreciate the time that um, that we did have, and. Um, I know things were were hard and and, and a struggle, but thanks for being the best mom that you knew how to be um, at the time. And I hope I'm making you proud. And um, I love you and I miss you. Thanks to Elaine McGibbony and all the good folks at Boutwell Studios for all the TLC required to bring this podcast to life. And audio engineers Joe Beeman and Jonathan W. Hickman. Remember, everyone has a special talent. You just need to identify it, cultivate it, and be willing to pay the price. You too can become an American achiever.